show me on the dial where the bad man touched you. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. Welcome back. This week, while the host of WTF What the Fuck podcast with Mark Marin was in Toronto appearing at the Yuck Yucks downtown location, we asked if he would like to be on Anything Goes. He accepted our invitation, and after getting the requested strongest fucking coffee out there, we arrived at XM, and here is the first part of, of the three-part interview with Mark Marin. Enjoy. We're here sitting with our guest today, uh, someone that is, uh, had over 40 appearances on Conan O'Brien, uh, many appearances on Letterman, and of course, in my opinion, has the best podcast out there. We have Mark Barron in the studio, and Dave Martin is with me. Yep. Uh, welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for having me, fellas. Um, the one thing I want to say right off the top, uh, I've never really been a, a huge podcast guy just because I'm a father of three kids. I don't have a lot of time to be sure. sitting and listening. Uh, but Dave has been a huge uh, podcast guy for the last two or three years, and he's the one who turned me on to your podcast. And I've listened to probably 30 episodes in the last two and a half weeks or three weeks. Oh, wow. So that's probably more than you even want me to listen to. That's a lot of me in your head. That is a lot of you in, in my head with <laughs> other three kids and other problems. Um, so we're gonna we're going to get into some things. We're going to talk about some things. And, uh, and uh, of course, like I said, Dave is a huge fan as well. And, and, and sort of the, the comics that you would sort of get were always comics that I would want to hear more than just about comedy with. And even the podcast, like the podcast that I started, I guess one of the original reasons why I started it was because I always thought that comics were always more than just their act. Sure. And sometimes the com- you'd see, you'd be working with uh, someone on a show and you'd and you'd watch their act and you'd be like, well, you're so much more uh, of an interesting person than the guy that you're showing on stage. Like that, That's some, something you say to a comic afterwards? Well, no, <laughs> I would never say that. I would never say that, but one of the reasons... The mo- what, I would. Right, okay, Darren might. But, yeah. uh, but, but it's just sort of like, sometimes the guy that you're going to the gig in the car is so much more interesting and funny than the guy that's, that ends up on stage that night. Oh, yeah. And so you're just sort of like, I wanted to sort of do a show where comics would come on and talk about something other than their act and then maybe it would slip into like their own perspectives and how they deconstruct comedy as well. Yeah, I, b- so. I believe that's true. I believe that that's one of the things that uh, that drives my podcast in the sense that it's taken me a long time to come back around to a place where I can appreciate anything because yeah, as a comic, you go through you know fifteen or twenty years of deep resentment towards anyone other anyone else's success. Yeah. That you know you, you get in this business long enough, and then you know if you see a, a peer gets a TV special, it might as well be called "Fuck Mark Marin." You know? <laughs> so so it's taken me a long time to uh, to be able to to be what I was originally, which is a fan of comedy and, and someone who loved to be entertained and someone interested in, 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 uh, in having an open heart enough to be, to be a, a, available to listen and, and to engage in, in, uh, in real conversation. But I think you're right that because of the risks we have taken with our life to do this thing that we want to do, we're afforded, uh, an alternative lifestyle that no one else lives. We have a lot of free time on our hands. We think about everything. Mm. We're, we're usually fairly self-aware and completely self-centered. So there's very few things that comics can't talk about. And I think the struggles that a lot of comics have, given that we're all a little fucked up, uh, you know, are relative to everybody. And, you know, in, in an extreme sense, you're dealing with a personality who gets on stage and makes people laugh as their job right. and, and then has to deal with all the other insanity that we deal with because because of our lives, and I think there is that that's relative to anyone's life. It's an extreme case, you know, in the sense that everyone has a life they have to live and and do what they have to do to get by. 
But ours is like, you know, not only do we have that, but we have to make people laugh. So how we deal with our struggles is is uh, it's it's practical in, in the sense for other people. Well, I also think, too, that a lot of times uh, people get very secure in their in their 45 to an hour act. And they were sort of like, well, I mean, if I got this act that sort of works wherever I go, why should I break out of that? One of the things I admire about your podcast is you do open yourself up so much, even if it's just talking about like sort of the early, more partying years that you had, sure. now, and then now you're now you're the comic that you are. And but I, I'm I'm, and also the cool thing about podcasts is that you don't have to follow the regular conventions of radio of just like okay, well we got seven oh, yeah. minutes to talk and yeah, and I think what you're talking about with those comics that you know that that's a mistake either way that you know if you get comfortable in your 45, you don't change your 45 for 15 years. I mean. I, I don't know really what you're doing yeah. in the sense that you, you're not engaging your creativity and, and you've sort of like you're just in a dead-end job of your own making. Yeah, it's like, it's like a day job. Yeah, almost, I don't you, think there's a lot of difference between me offstage and on stage, other than the, the heightened uh, sort of awareness of being on stage in the context of that, which is, you know, you, you can't just talk here. You've, you've gotta, right. It's right. got to be structured so you get these yeah. laughs. But I, I also have a theory about comics, and that is the... the the, we're all kind of crazy inside. We're all, some people are, call us man children, whatever you want to, the term you want to use. But my theory about stand up is to how crazy you actually are, everyone thinks of themselves way funnier than they actually are. And the size of that gap is how crazy you are. Meaning, roughly how, how funny you are and you know how funny you are. If you're close to that, you might be just a little crazy. But if you're way past that in your own head, you are fucking nuts. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's pretty fair. You know, I, I, you know, fortunately, I've never been uh, one to ever think I was that funny. I mean, I'll go the other direction. And I think the other direction is equally as crazy. Yeah, no, no, yeah for that, sure. That, how far you know, off you are. Lower than right, how right. funny you yeah, are, you're, you're to, crazy. Yeah, if you're on stage killing and you get off going, ah, it sucked, they yeah, hated me. I fucking don't want to be back here. <laughs> they, I never want to come back to Ajax again. Yeah. It's like there was a standing O. Yeah, fuck, they don't know. They were just putting their coats on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had to yeah. leave anyways. Yeah, so that goes either way, but I think that's a, that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, and the... the uh, the type of crazy in that gap can can range. Let me tell oh, you, yeah. <laughs> there's no oh, end. Oh yeah, I, used, I, I like to use the word misfit rather than like man yeah, child well, or crazy. Yeah. But I mean, I just, well, I think everybody has that. You know, I mean, one one thing of the one thing I'm realizing with the podcast is that uh, you know, everybody has that internal voice. Everybody has a, that discomfort and that insanity because everybody has to do something that right. they probably don't want to do. Right. And and that behavior it requires showing up to do it. But that doesn't mean in your head. You're going, oh, this fucking sucks. Right. Why do I have these kids? Why am I at this job? Who yeah. is this woman that I'm married to? Right. I mean, you know, that, that dialogue goes on in everybody. And I think part of being civilized is not necessarily honoring it every day and making everybody cry around you or losing your job. Right. When you, when you said about people getting comfortable in that hour and 45, and, and when, someone, when you do come across to some, with someone that does have that hour that kills wherever they go, and you just sort of like, it's like you said, it's like what you haven't, you sort of want to be like, haven't you noticed anything since like 1993 that you thought you might want to incorporate well, into well, your act I, at all? It's sort of, I sort of wonder, yeah, what are these people still doing it for? Well, Pryor said that the only enemy of, of creativity is fear. And I, and, I, and I think that's true. And I think that there was a time in the comedy business where, you know, you had an evolution of like guys that you know they did their act they had their big closer sometimes it involved music yeah. sometimes yeah. there was a couple of guys that were doing backflips i mean yeah. you know you were working towards this thing you know for, for me like i i rarely know what i'm going to close on you know i'm not hung up on 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 uh 
on on a consistency. Yeah, and and it's been a liability to me. But uh, but it's just the way that that I've always done it. And and has and it really I, been a liability? Do you think? Yeah, I was I was really sort of uh, you know I couldn't get club work for years right. for one reason or another. Either you know people thought I was. Uh, political or angry or I was going to divide the crowd or, you know, despite right. the fact walkouts, that I've, whatever. Yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of walkouts, but there was this general sense that that, you know, I was a difficult comic, okay. uh, but I was not a guy that would walk rooms. I don't want to walk rooms. I right. mean, I, I could offend people, but but, uh, you know, that's become less as I've become more comfortable with myself. And you know, really, honestly, right now, it, it's I'm, I'm better than I've, I've ever been mentally. And I think, you know, as a comic. But the, the to speak to what you're talking about is that, you know, once that context was created that, you, you know, you got to be consistent, you yeah. got to close big and they got to want to see more that you had a lot of guys that, you know, they they put their 20 years in to build that. Right. And that was, you know, I've, I've done it. You know, I, I can do all those things. And and the idea of creativity, you know, after a certain point, some guys don't don't have it. Right. <laughs> see, I, I personally have always despised a big closer. And maybe, maybe it's just me self-justifying why I don't do one. But for, for for me, it's like I don't think an audience member goes, man, that guy was great for 40 minutes, but the ending last minute, eh, not so good. I don't you know. know. I, I think everyone laughs to a certain amount, has a good time, and that's all that's important. If they have to see something shiny at the end, I don't know. Is it really justifying the whole show by having a big closer? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I understand that, you know, on a craft level. And, and I, I think that... Uh, that it works the other way too. That you can suck for forty minutes, but if you have a big closer, they'll walk thinking you out. Go. You're great, right? You know. So I mean, you know, it depends how you approach it. You know, my my whole thing was never. As I look back on being a comic, all I ever wanted to be was just a comic. I wanted, right. and it had to do with. I, I think more than anything else, more than even getting laughs, there was something about you know ha, you know owning the stage and just being understood. You know, I just want to connect. Right. So I find that a lot of times, you know, people will come up to me years later and say, you know, that bit you did about this and this. And I'm like, holy shit, I think I did that once Yeah, that you don't even know what's connecting with people. And I'm finding that with the podcast, too. Yeah. It could be, you know, one sentence that it might be a throwaway to you. Right. right. And, and I don't necessarily structure things, you know, for laughs. You know, there I don't know what my process is. I don't. You know, I don't write jokes in joke form. I'm, I write ideas and I, you know, I write outlines of things. And what happens with me is that my my career is just an ongoing conversation about some topics that that evolve as I get older and I evolve with them. And, and then I share them with an audience. I don't know what the fuck my process is. So the whole idea of creating an act, you right. know, is weird to me. I have things that I seem to get stuck on you know, topics and bits that I don't understand why I keep doing. Mm -hmm. And then like, there's different reasons for not do for doing them, for not doing them for years because of all the Conans. I thought like, well, this was a mistake in my head that when I didn't put asses in seats after doing that many Conans or having as much visibility as me, I decided that, well, the world clearly doesn't want me. They, you know, <laughs> I've, I've been out there enough. Yeah, yeah, Everybody yeah. has made a decision, but the truth of the matter is, you, you know, you don't, if you don't lock in and people don't say like that, that's that guy, Right. You know, I don't know if I'm that guy. So the the truth of the matter is I was just working and all these bits that I was throwing away because I assumed that, like, I'd already done them on TV. People know them. No one fucking knew me. Yeah. You know, I did jokes last night that I've been doing for 15 years, and I guarantee you that that at least two-thirds of that audience had never seen any right. of them before. Right. And it's a shame. And there was a lot of fans of yours that were in that audience. And yeah, they're the ones surprising. I worry about disappointing in right. the sense that, you know, if you listen to my podcast, you know me. Right. right. Yeah, and yeah you, sure. and, and, and And there's part of me that like that 
the tone that I take in the podcast is not relative to getting laughs. So it's very open and very candid. I tell stories in a different way, but some of the material from the podcast is, is now developing into bits. So that's a different context. That's where it has to get laughs. But I assume that some people in the audience were like, you know, I know this story. But then I forget that some people had never seen me live and right. that, that it's a or different experience. Or maybe they want to hear that story again. They yeah. like it so much. And, yeah. you know, even though you're sick of telling something, sometimes that fan is coming for that one story and then feels let down at the end that you didn't do that yeah. one story. And also the problem with drawing directly from your life and being honest in that way is that, you know, there's only so much life I can live on any given yeah. week. Right. Right. So if you're expecting me to generate a new story every week, you know, you're, you're misunderstanding the job of, of, of crafting bits uh, that when things become bits, even if they're stories, they, they when they, they come to life on stage, it's it's in that you know, it's on stage. It's not me just talking to you guys. Right. But don't you think it's a little ironic that I'm not saying you weren't successful before, but you're having another level of success because of your podcast the where you're being wave. a second wave because you're probably being the most truthful. In your no, it's great. It's very satisfying, and it's very surprising to me that you know that you know, I have a lot of people that listen that aren't comedy fans that don't know any of the guys that I have on that yep. don't listen to comedy. Yep. But the but I guess the honesty and what I talk about resonates with them. I mean, I'm getting the types of emails that you get when you do a, a show that it, it's just amazing that it's sort of like, you know, I thought it was crazy. You're helping me. You know, I almost killed myself. Right. But, you know, after hearing that interview with that guy. So so it's very rewarding in a, in a way that that I never expected. And also because of where I'm at in my life and because of, you know, the the perception that people had of, of me, that the ability to, to reach out to other comics and, and make an amends uh, for behavior of the past and also give back to the, the comedy community and, and, and bring uh, comedians to to the ears of people that may never have heard them is is uh, is very rewarding to me. And I have, I'm glad I have the opportunity to do it. Well, I, that was one of our intentions between Darren and I, because there's so many there's so many great comics in Toronto that don't all, that don't get heard because they're not uh, TV friendly or they're not uh, they're not comedy club friendly. So that was sort of one of our motivations for having this this show on XM to just to be able to bring those people to a, a bigger audience. And I've been I've been in so many of those small uh, venues where it might be the greatest comedy show that I've ever seen, but there's only 14 people there. And you're sort of like, this is really, really shitty that this only these 14 people. Well, the weird thing you know as a comic is that it might not have been the f- same show with 200 people. Yeah, exactly. There's that's, something that's, about a half yeah. a house that's magic. Like yeah, I, right. I, I, yeah, I almost I, rather I love, it. I love 60 people more than I love 300. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you have a little more uh, uh, ability to to really make the the group mind, you know, what you want it to mm-hmm. be. You know, when, you know, in order to get 300 people into a group mind that honors your voice right. is a little more difficult because there's a there's a pacing issue. Uh, there's an intimacy issue that that can't be recaptured unless you take some serious risks. Yep. You know, and there's also the pressure of entertaining 300 people. Whereas yep. if you got a half a house, you're like, hey, fuck it. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and even in 2005, when I did the gala just for laughs to those 2000 people and they never aired it, part of me was like, you know what? I'm actually kind of glad because that's not the kind of venue that is suited for what I do and I you know my own regrets I had to probably dumb it down a bit to get over certain kinds of jokes but in the end since it didn't air you know for six months I was upset but now you know enough time is away from it I'm actually quite glad that's not kind of out there yeah it's a big room I did that for the first time I guess last year 
in my experience with that stuff is that, you know, if I, if, you know, if, if I'm going to be doing eight minutes, you know, I'm going to have to take it out of the structure of the act and, and I can usually sort of, you know, polish it into a, a, a an order that I know where the beats are, but, but yeah, I mean, that's been something I've been up against a long time. The experience of seeing me on television versus the experience of seeing me live is very different. Right. Because, you know, there's an immediacy that's lost. I think my HBO half hour in 95 was really the, the best uh, at, at capturing that just because I was fucking insane in how I approached it. But people seem to still remember that and it airs occasionally. But at that time, you know, I was doing a half hour and because I have no sense of, of, of the comedy business or, or what it means that like, you know, like you got a half hour on HBO, you should do your best shit. Yeah. So, you know, people will, will see the best shit and come see you. And, and, and for some reason where I was at, I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to prepare too much because I'm sort of into this, uh, <laughs> I'm sort of into this improvisational storytelling thing. So I'm just going to prepare like 10 minutes and see what happens, which is fucking crazy. And, and I did that, but there's a couple moments on there. I tell this, uh, this story about taking mushrooms that I didn't anticipate telling, and people remember it. And I remember doing it where I'm like, am I going to do this? I mean, this is not – I've told this twice, right. and it's my HBO half hour. But, but because of that, I think it's really the most honest representation of me. Unfortunately, it's, you know, it's uh, 15 years old, so it's, it's me then, but it was definitely the spirit of what I do. Funny that you mentioned that uh, the mushroom story that you were you weren't even planning on doing, and you told. I was like, I know, remember there was a, a an hour show I did for uh, CTV years ago where I almost blocked out the set where I sort of like, okay, well they're not going to air that, but I'll still do it. I'll still take yeah. it. Yeah, I almost planned. There was like a whole segment where I was like, well, this this shit's not going to get on TV. Yeah, and surprise, surprise, it did. But yeah, it was just funny that you didn't anticipate. Oh man, I'm going to tell the mushroom story. Yeah, well, they they could have cut it, I guess, because I I went a little long. We did two tapings, but you know, it came together pretty well. You know, I I don't I never really think in I I I've been relatively irresponsible in a business sense about you know how I present myself. I, I still sort of plow through life thinking like, well, if I just keep doing it the way I do it, you know, that's all it's all I know how to do. So it's got to hopefully it'll you know pay off somehow. <laughs> it was never that. Yeah, I mean. Every comic's got a website now. Every comic has a Facebook group. It took me a long time to get that stuff. I, I know. Just, and, I know and, and, it's hard. Well, I think it's very time-consuming, but, you know, quite honestly, you know, the, no one's going to promote you, and it took me a long time to realize that. Like, I used to do this line where I'd say it took me a long time to realize that Hollywood wasn't my parents. I think that's one of the greatest lines. Like, I remember hearing yeah. that on the podcast. I was like, holy fuck. That was like, in such a short sentence, you summed up. Like so much of just what I was thinking, I was just like, yeah, oh my God, that's it. That's, that's, we're we're that's insecure everything. people, yeah. you know. Our self esteem is not in check, and we're, you know, and, and there's something about the kind of like, uh, like you know, when's someone going to do this for me? When am I going to, you know, how come no one came? And you know, and there's something about even like I just now learned how to sell my own CDs because there's there's still part of me with self promotion and with even just selling my merch. Where I'm like, you know, like, uh, well, you know, it's okay. You know, where, whereas, like, you know, what do you got to do that for? You know, these people want to buy it. You're going to, like, it's, it's like that old joke, which is the, the great joke about the, the comic who's on the road. You know, and maybe he's at the, uh, you know, the mall, you know, the Saturday after the Friday night. You know that joke? No. But, uh, uh, where, uh, where he's walking around the, the town that he's performing in and some chick comes up to him and says, God, we saw your show last night. You're real funny and we, we kind of want to fuck you. These two girls say that to the comic, and he looks at him and goes, "What show?" <laughs> so, you know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah. there's a there's different versions of that joke, yeah. but there's yeah. there's part of us that I think the reason we don't promote ourselves is that you know the best of us don't have the confidence to 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 really think that we're worth that in some ways, or to take the time to to do that because it's like I don't want to pressure anybody. You know, it seems like a lot of work. And there's also that era of of cockiness that's attached to marketing. If you market yourself like a a Dane Cook, and everyone who got down on Dane for being such the marketing guy, and that kickstarted his career. But even someone like Doug Stanhope has said. You know, without MySpace, he wouldn't have had a career for me. Well, no, years. I think that's true. I think that despite what anyone might think of Dane, that, you know, he taught us all a, a, a very powerful lesson. Right. Well, that just, there's no way to do it now. What, was the club going to promote you? What are they going to do? Put it in the free paper and on their website? Who the fuck reads a free paper? Enough people do. But, I mean, if you don't do radio in a town or you don't get enough promotion in the paper that everybody reads, I mean, no one's going to the website of a comedy club, really, except maybe regular people. So on some level, in order to find your people, you've got to create these networks and stay in touch with them. And and, and that's just the reality of the marketplace that we live in now. Like I'm, I'm always curious when, because I was on a show uh, on Wednesday, and it was a, it was like some new new comic showcase thing that they were doing. It was going to be on the internet, and uh, but there was a guy there who he'd maybe been doing stand up for like a year and a half, and he'd already had he already has his website, he has his uh, YouTube channel, and he has all these clips out. And just the the amount of work that you would have to get uh, that kind of exposure, like, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, you had to work so hard to get that kind of exposure. And now you can get it immediately on your own. And I I guess there's something to be said about, like, I always like the comparison about, like, how the Beatles would play in Hamburg for six hours a day, five, six days a week. Mm -hmm. And they just had so much time to develop. And that's how they got to be such a tight, fucking amazing band in those early years and nowadays I don't know if people are necessarily taking the time to develop before they start exposing themselves to the to the world because I see a lot of people that put stand-up clips on, on the on on YouTube or on their website, and you almost want to say to them, listen, did you watch this clip before you put it on? Because this is you're not yeah, going I over think, very uh, well in this clip. Well, I think that's a uh, uh, it's a broader problem that you know it seems that now that the comedy club system is broken down for better or for worse. That you know, there's a lot of people that call themselves comics, yeah. and there's a lot of people that can uh, you know manufacture a base for a certain amount of time based on very little, uh, and it, and then also it, on the other side of that, it hurts us and when people you know sh- you know capture half baked bits of hours that you know, it hurts our development. Right. Even people that that are, are established who who want to develop new stuff, it's hard to do it privately. Fortunately, I'm not that popular, and no one's you know, trying to capture my bits and put them up. Uh, and I don't put them up. Uh, but I, I know what you're saying, and it speaks more to the issue of that because of this Internet culture and because of the way publicity works, that people that really shouldn't be promoting themselves as finished products are. But there's nothing you can do to stop that, and they're going to have their window. And, 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 you know, depending on how big a window of opportunity you want, you know, if that's good with them, let, let them ride it out for a couple of years. It's not like it's going to blow up to, I mean, whatever. I mean, ultimately, all our resentments around this stuff are leveled by the, the if you just wait it out, you know, either people, people come and go. Yeah, I mean, there, is this guy going to be around in three years or is he going to do a couple commercials? Yeah, and who cares? Right. Either way. The, the, the one thing that I was uh, really glad when I listened to some of your podcasts is that you talked to Steve Pearl who I'm a huge fan of. I, I haven't worked with him since the 90s. Ooh, Steve Pearl, here we go. We're yeah. taking a ride to Steve <laughs> Pearl land. Steve Pearl land. And uh, we tried even, uh, Dave and I were in L.A. a month ago, and we tried to hook up with Steve, but didn't realize he'd moved two years ago to San Fran, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, that, it was really 
great listening to that clip because it, you you nailed it about Steve. A lot of people may not know who Steve is. Comedy's been doing it for 30 years. An amazing guy, influenced a lot of guys. Definitely listen to your podcast with it, and you'll, you'll go over that more. But he really did sound happy, and he did sound like he kind of came out the end of something else. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, know, and, you know, believe me, I was expecting... You know, he he was such a memorable guy to me because when I was at the comedy store as a doorman in the late 80s, he was down from San Francisco and trying to make it there. And, you know, I'd never met anybody with a brain like that. Yeah. You know, in, you know, off stage, you know, you'd get I into know. a car with him and you'd be like, oh, my God, I, I should just quit. Yeah. <laughs> Because no, it, it, him and him and Carlin, when I and I'm not saying they're equal, but they are like you said it in your podcast, and I'd said it about Steve. I watch this guy and I go, "Am I even in the same business? Yeah, as him. Yeah, you know, like I am trying to write a new dick joke, and this guy's got 50 jokes I wish I wrote. Yeah, yeah, in a, just gotta, a style that's amazing. He's almost know. autistic. Yeah, yeah, that there's there's something about his mind that is is beyond. You know, there's there's people like that that you meet in the business at different points in it. Like you know, I I think Maria Bamford is probably one of the best comics working and she's also like you know when I'm around her I, I don't know how to behave right. like I'm like right. oh, oh my god this is an angel is <laughs> that, you know? but uh but Pearl was uh you know I was I didn't really know what to expect because my recollection of him was about you know 15 years old and I was up there I was interviewing Robin Williams as well uh and you know I thought it was just sort of ironic that I had these two guys and there was some tension between them at a different point in time around material but you know when I saw Pearl and he was like you know I don't want to talk about any of that I'm happy I got a girl and things yeah. are working out I, I wish I had more work but and and just to let him go and and do what he does and he opened for me uh, uh, a couple weeks later when I went down there to the I purple saw that onion. On Facebook. Yeah, it was yeah. great. We had a yeah. great time, you know. And and it's it's weird to me that you know that I, I would never you know ask Steve to open for me in the sense that I have respect for him and right. you know and that I didn't think it was a disrespectful thing to do because he wants to work and I wanted to watch him and it worked out, you know. But it's hard for me to to realize that. You know, that people like him did not get the recognition that they deserve and and that that really when I ask someone like him to open it's not you know out of out of disrespect or no. like you know you, I, I know that you can close yep. but these people don't know you and and I'd like to watch you so do you want to come down and you know he was into it and we had a good time yeah I mean it's just when I when I heard that episode is that like like Dave said earlier it's the reason we started this show is to try to give a voice to those that are like if enough people saw this guy maybe something could happen for them you know you're not gonna get a ton of work but you might get a couple more gigs out of it and or also just that people like appreciate him however right. you know like you know whether or not he's available to be sought out or, or whether or not that's going to get him work i don't know but to put him into the you know into the context of the history of this thing i, I think was important well in, in that same episode i mean you brought it up i, I taught a class they have a, a college here that does a comedy course for two years mm. and i taught a class i asked them all 30 kids you know who's your biggest influence and and it's funny you made a reference in your show that they don't know anything before mr show yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah, yeah. and literally all 30 of them hadn't known anything other than Mr. Show, like yeah. before. No one had made a reference. Like one black kid said, um, you know, Chris Rock. I think that was it. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, you know, I think that when you come up, you know, I mean, I'm 46 years old now. And, uh, you know, I, I'd been loving comedy since I was like 10. And that I just think that because of this comedy nerd community that that people aren't putting 
people into context or appreciating it. And, and we have to admit that for most comics, I mean, there's always been hundreds and hundreds of comics. Most of them, it's you have a short shelf life yeah. and you're you're only culturally relevant for a certain amount of time. And there's a handful of guys that, you know, people remember. But, you know, comedy is a sort of a thankless job in the sense that, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get a five or six year window, which is a long one, to really uh, enjoy your success and make a little bank, you know, that's that's, oh, you know, that's a lot. Right. And and a lot of guys come and go. But, you know, in my personal history of comedy, you know, and what I've seen and who I've talked to and, and what I've observed after living in, you know, four major cities in the United States and, and being, you know, sort of at, you know, in the trenches in a lot of different areas and seeing a lot of stuff that, you know, I, I've got a, a, a lot of respect and a lot of uh, my own ideas about who's who and, and who fits in where. So I, I think it's important that not only to bring up people that I can that people may not know or appreciate, both older guys and newer guys, but also to put guys into context that a lot of people poo-poo or, 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 or condescend to because of, of this lack of sense of, of really the broader scope of comedy. Well, that concludes that segment of the interview that we did with Mark Marin while he was up in Toronto playing at the Yuck Yucks Comedy Club. Mark can be heard just about every single week with a brand new episode of What the Fuck. You can find him at markmarin.com. Check it out. Even when you're a star, a punch in the head is still a punch in the head. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. Get ready to try and shower the filth off. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. While Mark Marin, the host of WTF, What the Fuck podcast, was in Toronto appearing at the Yuck Yucks downtown location, we asked if he would like to be on Anything Goes. He accepted our invitation, and after getting the requested strongest fucking coffee out there, we arrived at the XM Studios, and here is the second part of the three-part interview we did with Mark Marin. Enjoy. Do you, do you think over time that you've become softer at all? Do you yes. Think? Thank God. Because uh, we, me and Dave were talking about this, and, and I think that I'm, you know, I only started comedy in like 91, 92, and uh, I'm still at that stage where I'm kind of angry. I used to be the comedy police as well and taking guys aside, that's such and such joke and everything. And, and you know, obviously I wasn't a big fan of Robin Williams' stand-up because of the thievery. Loved him in films, you know, Garp and everything. He's a great actor. But I've got to be honest, and after I listen to that podcast and I've been telling every comic I know to download it, it you do a really good job of getting it out there. And after listening to it, I have a lot more respect for Robin because at least he kind of owned it a bit, whereas I felt the Carlos Mencia episode, he didn't own it as much. Mm -hmm. And so when you compare the two, or you know the three episodes, because I listened to both, it was a bit of a, I don't want to say a letdown for me, that Carlos, at least, at least didn't, he wants to change, but in my opinion, for you to change, you have to own it and admit it, and then you can change. Because he said at the end, I want to be a better person, I want to do this. He can't be a better person unless you own something. Well, the thing about the, the Carlos episodes were really... That the way I approached the first one, you know, without knowing the scope of of his particular, you know, you know, sickness in terms of uh, of of stealing jokes and in terms of uh, you know his social behavior, was that I ended up getting this con job and you know I didn't know how to what I was going to do to post it, but I also knew that if you listen to it closely that you know what you're listening to is is a, a very troubled pathological person right. and you know when i did the second interview after i talked to a couple a couple of guys 
you know, and sort of confronted him with specific stuff that the second interview, he was unable to, to maintain his con job, you know, and, and, and it's, it's innate. It's not something he's doing on purpose there. You know, there's there, he's, he's a little more flawed than the rest of us. And I don't know that I'm not sure he's completely aware of the damage that he's done in, in, in terms of the scope of it or even completely aware of how much he's stolen. And, and I think what I, I learned through those episodes and what most people reacted to, that there was no smoking gun moment. But, you know, to hear the two interviews and to hear him try to explain himself really revealed a deeper pathology. And I certainly wasn't trying to make him a sympathetic character, but but. There, there was something about that those interviews that was completely compelling and, and a bit disturbing. See, for me, there, in my opinion, there was a smoking gun moment, and that was the last minute and a half of the first episode where you were honest about that you felt you were conned, right, and that you were going to address the, the situation, talk to those two other comics, and then get him back in to address it. And then that moment, and I don't want to go over each each show, right, but I just love the moment where he was trying to say that he only bumps people to get back at them, and then you said to him, what the fuck did I ever do? to you yeah and he never really addressed that he still kept on going about the other guys he's bumped or yeah. whatever but he never really addressed the issue of of bumping someone when you didn't done it had never done anything to that person or they never done anything to you well i think his 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 i represented something yes. and 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 uh and i thought that that if there's one thing he copped to was that the vindictive bumping and and, and i thought that was sort of genuine yes and there was a couple of genuine moments in it and what, like what i felt when i was interviewing him was like there, there's like, you know, I, I just felt that he was at that moment where like he knew what I was saying, but because of his brain, he's unable to, to take responsibility for, for things. Right. And it, it was all sort of tragic to me. In, in a way. And and I, I don't you know, I believe that he took all that material and that he's caused a lot of pain and damage in his life. Right. And I and I believe that, you know, not unlike I said that, you know, he's his career is waning and, and the sure. arc has happened yeah. and, you know, who he's got to sit with. But I think that ultimately the response, you know, other than talking to uh, to Ari Shafir last night who thought that, you know, at the end of the episode that, you know, I, I uh, you know, I was vague in 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 how I closed it up, which I don't think I was, you know, my, the, the, like all the other podcasts, I wanted this guy to reveal himself as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think he did that and that it's not going to change anyone's opinion of him other than they might feel worse for him that like, yeah. you know, that that's what I was going to say. The Robin Williams makes me feel better about Robin Williams, right? Right. They both have had the same kind of charges laid at them and they both have had long careers. Like you said, the poster with 95, he's been doing this for so long. But they both come out completely different on the other end. Well, I think Robin, the reason that I talked to Robin was specifically to address your feelings of him yes. pre-interview was that, you know, like whatever you think and whether or not I liked his comedy a lot or not, it doesn't matter. And whether or not I've said that, you know, like, fuck that guy, he's a hack or a thief, it doesn't matter. No. What, what matters is, is that this guy started like all of us. He started in his early 20s. He was a stand-up comedian. Uh, he got a big break when he was 27 years yeah, old. Absolutely. And he has managed to have a spectacular spectacular career for 30 fucking years. I mean, he was the biggest star in show business and I'm going to listen to 22 year olds go fuck that guy. He's a thief. Yeah. If, if that's going to be the only way you look at him, you're not even acknowledging your own ambition. Right. And, and, and the truth of the matter was to put him into context and to talk about his experience with watching prior and to be at a comedy store and to just be another comic, you know, early on, you know, the, the stealing was more prevalent, prevalent, uh, you know, with certain people, but but I think he owned that. But I also think that even if he stole, you know, involuntarily a half hour of material, 
Yeah, it's not. If he had not done that, it wasn't like, well, he'd just be nobody. Right. I mean, you're, and the way he's different than Mencia is that, you know, Robin is a singular talent and, and a, a very open and, and uh, magnanimous person that, you, yeah. you know, when he's on stage, whether you like what he's saying or not, you know, he's he's out wide open and audiences love him. You cannot take away from him that he loves stand-up comedy more than anything else in his life. I mean, obviously not well, his he, children or whatever, yeah. but there's a story about he did Death to Smoochie here, right? right? And, and he there man was... of the year when he showed up at, like, open mics around town. Yeah, but... And, right, he and, talked but, a little bit about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, when the, like, uh, and he would show up with, like, Lewis Black and, like, Wilmot, because yep. they were all in the movie, and uh, it, it was just... It was cool to see a guy who was, just, like, so established, but still he loved stand-up that yeah. much. Yeah, I was just happy that he... he st- you know, like, my, my concern was, like, I just wanted him to be real, and he did. I think it was because I was at his house at 11 in the morning. And, what, and the thing is, what was great is, I don't want to knock him, but the thing I can't stand about him in interviews is he's, like, going 80 miles an hour right, or whatever. Yeah. And, oh, and, and, and nine to fivers love that, because that's what they look at as Rob Williams, but he was so, like, organic or at least down to earth in that interview. It's yeah, it almost like, like when he tried to go off on something, he's like, oh, I don't have the energy. Right, yeah. exactly, you know, and that's and that's the thing. And the, the thing I want to say about Death of Smoochie, why you know he loves stand-up, there was a moment, they had, like, 2,000 extras at an ice rink, right? Yeah. And they were shut down for 40 minutes because of a technical problem. Yeah. He just grabbed a mic and did, like, 35 minutes for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is the guy who's fucking starring this movie, yeah. a multi-million dollar film on his back. Yeah. He's got to get his shots right, his lines right. Yeah. Fuck it, I got 40 minutes in yeah. the crowd here. I'm going to give them something, and yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah, he's a sweet guy. And I, I think that the difference between him, I think that, you know, ultimately after the Carlos interviews, and there's no reason even to compare them because they're in completely different leagues. Uh, you know, you know, Carlos is controversial and that's all he is at this point. You know, right. you know, Robin just had, you know, something hanging over him and I'm right. glad we got to the bottom of that. But, you know, that Carlos stuff was just very difficult and very odd stuff. And, you know, I have a lot of opinions about it, but he likes the power of it. You know, it's there. Those are disturbing interviews in, in a lot of ways. Well, there is a power. There's a hierarchy in the the whole Latino comedy. But market. he likes, like, he literally like the the idea that this that on stage it's the only place he actually controls. Oh, I see people. what you're saying. Right, right, right. He he feels. You know, he you know there were yep. certain things he said in that interview that if I wanted to, I could turn the Latino community against. Oh, the that was people. crazy. <laughs> but see, that's what I wanted yeah. out of that. You know, after yeah. a certain point, I knew that I just have to let him talk. Or I could tell my friend to go kick the fuck out of someone at the comedy. Th- that was his last like, saying. Yeah, that's that like... that show that he's a good guy. So like, <laughs> so that was more of what that was about. Like I knew after a certain point that I was not going to get this moment where where he's going to take full responsibility but if he talks long enough people will want to make their own judgment and i've gotten a lot of emails about it that like you know i've been talking about this with my friends for three days yeah you know that it provokes this sort of like examination of 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 people's selves of him and you know what it means so it was it was good you film these do you ever put no i've someone came in and filmed a a few i think we're going to do something I could easily be like my dinner with uh, Carlos. You know what I mean? That yeah, yeah, been a yeah. Great yeah. examination. Difficult of... dinner, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. I I think we're gonna try to do some of that. I just like to me like yeah. I didn't want to get involved with a website that you you know that we're you, you know like I gotta feed video. I gotta feed chat. Like you know to me it's just sort of like you know stick it in your ears, take it where you want to take it, and that's enough work for me right now. But I right. think we're gonna do a deal with the site where they're gonna do one episode a month and and shoot them. It'll also change the dynamic of what's going on out there in the garage. There's one. There's one question. I, I just to get back to sort of like um, stand up and like what up and coming comics and stuff is like. 
Uh, <clears throat> I know when a lot of comics start, and they they uh, you know that they'll watch a lot of George Carlin, they'll see a lot of Bill Hicks. They'll be like, uh, "Man, I want I want to have a point. I want to I want to make a statement." And and then they'll go out and to a to a club, and it mm-hmm. it won't go over that well. And they're so determined. I gotta I gotta tell the truth. The comedy is about truth and all this shit. And, and then sometimes after the show, if it doesn't go over well for him, I want to say, listen, there's nothing wrong with just uh, people wanting to come out and having a laugh. You know, I mean, these people were out working eight hours a day. They just want to turn their brains off and they just want to laugh at, at a show. And you can't get mad at them if people you can't get mad at a crowd when all they want to do is just laugh and have a good time. I could. <clears throat> well, I, I know I I, you, you I can't. Do. No, I, I do, too. I always want comedy to be more than just like, you know, laughing at a comedy. Well, that's the trick, jokes. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's the trick to sort of get your opinion and make it funny enough that sort of people don't even realize that they're learning something along the way. Well, at some point you have to examine what your opinions really are and why you're doing certain jokes, which is something that I had to reckon with because I sort of came from a tradition of of uh, confrontational comedy, of uh, of provoking audiences and 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 creating uh, a, a sort of like you know, a challenge. Right. And and then you know if you're an angry person and you have to decide what are you really angry about. Are you really angry about what you're talking about or are you just angry? Yeah. And, and you know, there, there's something about doing self-righteous material that it creates a, a, a sense of, of self up there that you can walk off and go, see, they're fucking stupid. Yeah. They didn't get me. <laughs> right. Or like, you know, like, I, see, I showed them or whatever. But, but, you know, I think deeper than that with my own personal experience is like, well, why are you doing that? Is that an emotional problem or do you really believe that shit? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, when you start to really ask yourself, why you're confronting the audience what is the challenge mm-hmm. do you really know what you're talking about do you really feel that passion about this yeah i've known comics a long time and i've know that most of them all they give a shit about is themselves for the most part and so if you're presenting yourself as this righteous voice and and you haven't done any self-examination about what that righteousness is is it just fear that like is that an easy way out because one thing you can surely do as somebody on stage is alienate a crowd that's easier to do well, yeah, I'm the king of that yeah, yeah but that's easier to do yeah, yeah. than get laughs yeah so so what is it that you're doing so I mean that becomes a real question and if your heart's in it if you're a charitable guy you care about uh, about poor people and 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 corporations taking over the world and you know you know fuck the you know BP for the oil spill and and you know if that's the, the place you want to go and you know and fuck Jesus and, and if that's where you want to go because your heart is there then then you know God bless you you're a noble person that that wants to to, to share the truth and challenge people yeah. to change your assumptions about things. But if you're just doing it because uh, you don't have the balls to be honest and, and really push your heart on the line, well, then, okay, well, then so you get what you get. Like, there was a time where I'd say, like, you know, okay, there, there's that topic. You know, it, it's challenging. How am I going to make that funny? And, and, and how am I going to do it? You know, I know that any way I make it funny, it's going to be a lot for people to take. And that was the challenge. So now, you know, what I'm doing is, like, first I I react to it, to whatever the topic is, and I decide, is it relevant to me? 
do I really give a shit about this? What are my feelings on it? Not like, how can I fucking make them laugh at baby killing? Yeah. Well, that was going to be my question. Have you ever written a joke where you're just trying to get away with something? Because I've been accused of that. I mean, I personally don't do that, but I don't know. Maybe I need to self-examine enough to really look if that's the reason why I'm doing certain topics. I don't think I am. I think I do believe in what I'm saying, but... I have been accused of that. Like, you're trying to get away with this rape joke, or you're trying to get away with this joke about Rwanda AIDS, right. or AIDS. You know what I mean? It's like... I used to do that. I, I think that, that because, of like, for me, a lot of that had to do with, with my own defensiveness. That what I was essentially doing, because I think that, you know, sadly, in, in most comedians is they really want to be loved. You know, oh, yeah, whether they course. think they deserve that or not, I don't know. Right. Or what their relationship is with being loved, I don't know. But I found that a lot of those jokes were really just defying people to love me. And I know that in my personal relationships, but, you know, it's like, you know, you got an audience full of people, you got a woman, whatever you have, you're sort of like, oh, really, you like me? How about now? Yeah. You still like right. me? Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, you know. But then what if they like you? You see, you, you know, you go down there, because I do that too. You have go, to yeah. let them like you. Yeah. And, and the, most, the, the, the most challenging part about what, my career and where I've been going lately is that, like, is that if I'm going to take the risk to put myself out there in a real way, then if they don't like me, I know it's going to hurt a lot more, but I got to see if, if I can. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been more the challenge to me as opposed to defying them to like me. It's like, well, why not just, you know, tell the truth and be honest about how you really feel about stuff and develop a relationship that's based on, on you and your, your own heart and, and, and see how, how that goes. And, and, and that's a horrible, scary thing to do. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the next evolution. I don't know what else to do. I'm tired of fighting people. I know. I guess I'm getting to the point because I'm, I'm younger than you and not as experienced as you. I guess I'm getting to the point where I have to more analyze whether I'm starting to get tired because I'm starting to get I'm just starting to get tired of fighting people. Well, I'm not totally there yet, but I'm definitely starting. Look, to. if you want someone to understand how you feel about something, you, you can do it without saying, you know, fuck you, you're stupid or like you're too, you know, you're too conservative or you're too dumb to understand this. I've never I've, I personally have never played that card. I don't really blame the audience that much, but I, I know where you understand what you're saying. You know, I mean, at some point, it's like if it's something like, you know, how I'm framing my God stuff now is that really like, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm an atheist and I, and I don't really believe in anything. Right. And and and, you know, this is my this is where I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm and then I do my jokes that I find that if I place myself into all of my jokes now that no matter how difficult they are at least i'm speaking from myself and not speaking from this place that i think i should be speaking from right and it's a difference difference, yeah um well yeah the the one other thing i wanted to talk to you about we were talking about it uh, on the on the way in was this whole and i think this also goes back to the mencia thing why he may have tried to bump you is elitism in comedy I think maybe he put you in a category of comic that would probably have looked down on what he was doing. I think he said that. Yeah, and that's why he did what he did to Didn't you. Didn't he say that? I think he yeah, said he that. Yeah, he did in a roundabout way. Uh, I'm just trying to shorten it up a bit. But uh, I think that's why he did that to you, and I think that there's certain comics that get that tag. Like, I know Patton has talked about it in that people just think he likes alternative comedy, but he loves all kinds of comedy. It's not a us versus them. Like, for me and Dave, like, last year I saw Louis C.K. and Brian Regan, and I laughed at both of them just as much. Yeah, you know but, I mean? I mean, Brian Regan's great. Yeah. No, I know that, but he's not in the same category. It's like, you know, this whole game of... I've never met anyone that didn't love Brian Regan. Yeah. 
well, me either, and that's the beauty of Brian Regan. <laughs> but but that's what I'm, you know, the idea of putting everyone in a category, right. and it's like I'm a sketch guy or I'm an alternative comic guy, and I can't like someone like Brian Regan because he doesn't do what I do, and it's that elitism. We were talking about uh, John from the Caparulo. Movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that there's a there's something bad going on that speaks also to you know that that the comedy nerd community and people that don't have a sense of the history of comedy, you know, I've, I've sort of been programmed to like this certain clique of comics. Right. You know, vis-a-vis, you know, a special thing and, you know, comedy death ray and, and the comedians of comedy, that there are these attitudes or lines drawn in the sand, you know, like, you know, like Poussein's, I guess his new album cover is him standing on the skulls of, of Larry the Cable Guy and Dane Cook right, and, right, and right. Jeff Foxworthy. And, you know, like the, the bottom line is, it's like, I, I think that he was making a joke in sort of a metal fashion. But I talked yeah. to some guys who were like, you know, who the fuck's he think he is? He just he does fart jokes. I mean that that guy's the you know, I mean I, but I, I've decided to to think it's just a sort of a heavy metal sort of yeah, disposition. Right, right, yeah. But but you know there are guys that uh, that have their shit in place. They work hard. They're 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 effective, good comics. They have a a huge following. And it, at some point you got to say like you know, well they're the real deal and they're popular. I just personally don't think they're funny. As opposed to like fuck those guys. Right, right. I mean, what is I that? I think that comes with age too. This is, though. Well, this is show business. We're not in politics. Yeah. These aren't leaders. If you don't like them, that's fine. There's no reason to shit on them necessarily if they're not doing anything to you or you know who cares if people like them. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to make any life or death you know, decisions that are really going to affect you. But, but some whether... of, right. But some of these guys are great comics. Uh, and, and I think a lot of times, like I've been in comedy death ray where you get an old timey guy, someone in my generation who they don't know, who they would have dismissed as a hack, come up and kill with fairly pedestrian jokes. So what that tells me is that they don't really know the difference mm-hmm. until somebody tells them. So I, I think there are lines drawn that are elitist based on, you know, uh, 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 contempt prior to investigation. Right. I always think that there's something, you know. As as hacky as a bit or a premise might be, there's there's someone out there that hasn't heard the shopping cart with a wobbly wheel uh, ob- observation before. Yeah, well, you that's know. yeah, a little sad. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it's sad as it is, but you know, you're not doing that one, are you? Yeah, no, 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 no. That's, that's my closer. That's his closer. Yeah, she brings out a cart, there's a song and a puppet. I asked the management, hey, just press play on the CD player. I got me yeah. my shopping cart bit. But, but you do a different. You have a song with the shopping cart. Yeah, a fireworks out his ass. Uh-huh. Some no, I, I have a little bit of a problem with a lot of that. I have a little bit of problem with the with a community of uh, you know specific comedy fans, policing comedy. I have a problem with them, you know, passing judgment or 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 collectively taking shots at certain comics. Uh, because, you know, one thing that I know and this, you know, and I, again, I've been the guy that said, fuck that guy, you know, he's a hack or whatever, is that there are some guys out there that a lot of people don't know that, you know, are, are, are really doing something unique and doing yeah. something whole and, 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 uh, and, and, and professional and funny that, you know, that they just sort of get dismissed. And, I, and it's a sad thing. Yeah, everyone can have their opinion, but we're, they're, they're no, it doesn't need to be lines drawn for fuck's sake. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it in the car. My, my uh, whole position on it is that as long as they know what they're doing, and for example, you know, if you're a prop act and you know you're a prop act and you just want to do your show, entertain the audience, get your money and go home, which a lot of my prop act friends are like, they're not about social change or making a point or how many prop act friends how I have. I have a lot, okay? okay right. How many can fit into a fucking trunk? That's how many prop act friends I have. But all my point is, is like, they're not thinking they're Bill Hicks. They're a juggler or they're, you know, this is a guy who talks about his family, very kind of Foxworthy type. He doesn't think he's Bill Hicks. I have no problem with that. My only problem is when someone goes on stage, thinks they're making social commentary or being dark and edgy, and they're not. You know, that's my problem. With hey, it. If they're the only one thinking it, who cares? 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> then maybe I care talking, too much. No, but then you're just really talking about a guy who's annoying because, you know, when he gets off stage right. and you got to deal with him I, in the green room. I guess that is what it is. Yes, that's <laughs> that's my thing. It's not like he's being celebrated as anything. No. I mean, you know, clearly you're talking about somebody that who knows who he is and, you know, is he, you know, is he being celebrated for that? No. Is he celebrating himself? Yeah. Is yeah. that annoying as a comic sitting in a green room with that guy? Yeah. Right. So it's a personal thing. Yeah. <laughs> But I, you know, I've also been accused of being too serious, so maybe I got. Yeah, we're all kind of serious, you know. Uh, you know, once you get into this for a few years and you realize that, like, you know, it's sort of like karate. You're like, you know, I, I'll, I, I can only do it on stage, or else I just annoy everybody. <laughs> so then, when you actually turn it off off stage, then people are like, "Jesus Christ, you're fucking miserable." Well, you're I, like, <laughs> I know, I've, I know, I've, I've, I've been at shows, and it's like, if you're mm. sitting with the other guys that you're on the show with afterwards, yeah. and someone will come up to you and go like. Oh, man, that was the best show I've ever seen, man. You know what would be hilarious? If I just traveled in a van with you guys going from show to show. That must be the funniest you know, van ride ever. And yeah, you're just yeah, like, yeah, ah, not no, really. not really. It's a yeah. lot of complaining about gigs and, oh, you, what a shitty it's hotel room. A, that there's wasn't. A, there's a funny story I have. You know what? I, I'm taking the high road here, but I, I just want to make sure you know that I have those feelings. And there are comics that are working and are liked by people that, that claim the mantle of, of, of social change and, and provocative comedy who I think are frauds. And, and you, know, you know, even up to this morning, I was on Facebook and I, I saw one of these guys post and I said, you, who the fuck do you think you are? So I'm not beyond it. Now, <laughs> I, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just that, you know, on some level, I, I have to take a higher road to manage my own insanity. I don't have the energy to be angry at that shit anymore, but I still do it, dude. I, I mean, like, you know, as, as well as everything is going, there, there's still, like, and as much of a, a, an attempt I make at sort of distancing myself from, you know, lashing out like that or, 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 or doing that. You know, I, I did it a couple of weeks ago. I was working with a guy, you know, and, and I was a dick to him. And, uh, you know, just because uh, I, I was aggravated with the posturing. Right. And, you know, but, you know, you have to realize that these are, this is a very specific world of comedy that we're talking right, about. Right, exactly. And that, like, you know, in the history of comedy and in terms of, you know, prop acts and everything else is that stand-up comedy, as you're describing it and as we're, you know, uh, 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 establishing it to be, is fairly new. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the comic as auteur, the comic as point of view uh, is really, you know, 1960, late 50s to now and it's still a specific type of stand-up now comedians and clowns have been around since the beginning of time so really we are the minority and that you know you really don't want everyone to be what we are because that would be a very difficult world to live in right right so like there, there's some part of us that has to respect the idea that the stand-up comedy the stand-up comic as opposed to the comedian or clown who has a point of view who engages in his creativity who can be philosophical and talk about things from his point of view is is it's not unlike rock and roll it's only been around since the late 50s and and we can honor it and respect it in that context and uh, and and be who we want to be but the clown is it's like the cockroach it will outlive all of us and right. and it and has been here since the beginning of time right all right shut up mark Marin. no just kidding. all kidding aside that concludes the second part of the interview that we did with mark Marin while he was up in toronto playing the yuck yucks uh, downtown location mark can be heard just about every week with a new episode of wtf and you can find him at wtf or mark Sometimes joy is a four-letter word. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. 
Dave Martin and Kathleen McGee. But, oh, the other story. Sorry to interrupt you oh, yeah, yeah, about the bitterness and about, you know, about, uh, you know, talking about, you know, truth and, and, and talking about, you know, who we are offstage and, and the podcast and, and, and everything else. There was uh, 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 and just I don't know when I wanted to, to bring this up, but there was a guy who used to work in uh, this is one of those uh, those situations where you're on the road and. It was very heartwarming to me in the sense that there were years ago when I was working in the Boston area, I paid most of my dues, uh, you know, in, uh, working in Boston where it was a two-man show. There was a, an opener and a closer. Opener did a half hour. Closer did 45, and you drive anywhere from, you know, 50 miles to 300 miles for right. $75 to yeah. work with a, you know, a, you know, a B-level headliner. Well, I was doing this show with a guy named Bob Batch. His real name was Bob Batchelor. Do you know him? <laughs> no, no, I just love that name. I just love him. You know, and and this is no disrespect to him, but but you know, his you know, his big closer was something that I think I've seen around before. It was like uh he'd hold up signs with translations of southern, you know, uh sayings okay. like you know, uh mirror for a minute and he'd hold up a sign that was M E E R F I R M I N I T. Mirror for a minute. And and then he'd explain what it is. Come here for a minute. And right. the, there were several of those and that was his closer. So I'm I'm driving down to this gig in the middle of Connecticut somewhere. It was at a, a like a, a like a half-assed uh, you know for TGIFs. There was a half a car in the middle of the place, and you know and yeah. there was a DJ booth. And we had to drive like two hours to get to this place to do this one nighter. And the entire way down, you know, Batch is just sort of like, I don't know how the fuck people get on Letterman. How do you get on fucking Letterman? I've been doing this 15 years. Who the, how the fuck, who makes those fucking choices? I deserve it. I don't know how to fucking get on Letterman. I mean, like two hours of that. <laughs> and we get to this club and it's like, it's a little awkward because it's a one nighter. There's only like 12 people there. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I do my time and I, you know, do everything. I'm still working off a of paper because I'm just starting out and trying to do my 30. And I do okay with the 10 people that are there, however many. And, and then I go get off. I bring Batch up and, and I go to the bathroom. And, and I don't know what's happened uh, between bringing him on stage <laughs> and me going to the bathroom. But I walk out and he's on stage yelling at these nine people the same shit he was yelling at me in the car. You think I don't want to be on Letterman? How the oh. fuck do you get on Letterman? I mean, why the fuck oh, am yeah. I here? And it's awkward. And yeah. it's like it's uncomfortable. And he's fucking 10 minutes in. And I've never done this before that. And I'd never done it again. But I literally, I literally stepped into the middle of this small audience and Bob and I said let's take a break all right let's just let's just reassess where we're at right now let's take right. a break and and Bob just you know settle down <laughs> you people everything's okay and it's really awkward and he's up there like well I don't know what the fuck to do you know I'm like well what the fuck am I gonna do now and 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 I you know it's really weird and I go Bob do the signs yeah. yeah. <laughs> to your closer. Yeah. And he's like, really? You think that's going to work? I'm like, just, just do the signs. Yeah. And let's I, just try to rejigger it. So he did, and it was, worked out okay. I, I think I love that story because I had a, a, I have a number of car rides to gigs with a guy also named Bob, where at a certain point you just went, Bob, listen, let's just, let's just enjoy the next yeah. couple hours. I don't control let's, the universe. I can't get you on these shows. I remember I was in uh, it was, uh, early 2000s in Windsor, uh, which is near Detroit, and uh, a young comic was like 18, and he saw me. I was headlining, do really well, and he's just like, so um, how come you're not on Conan? And I'm like, well, how do you think it works, right? Just I want to show up and yeah, I'm here. Well, you, don't you just call them? And yeah, I'm like, yeah. if, if you think it's that easy, do you think I'd be like, I'll push the call off till tomorrow. Yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. a performance. 
Storm in Windsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, know, yeah, but yeah. I, you can't really harp on a 19-year-old kid, but, you know, yeah. A guy yeah well, was, there's like, a 50. lot of people that, you know, are, you know, that still, you know, that there's this idea that, like, you know, they'll find me. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, okay. So one last thing I want to talk about, and this yeah. is important to me because I've been accused of it, and I, and I own it. I am a bitter person, and I don't think that's always a negative thing if you use it constructively. If it fuels you, yeah. Meaning, like, there's a difference in the guy who just sits in a car and complains and does nothing about it. But if you feel that way and still try to do something about it, I still think you're bitter, but I don't think it's as bad as being the guy in the car. I don't know. You know, I mean, there's there's a difference between, you know, you know, justified anger and, and righteous anger. But, you know, I tried to make bitterness funny for a long time. And, you know, uh, that, you know, and I, I what, what I eventually ended up thinking is that it's it's. In most cases, it's amplified self-pity, okay. and, it, and it'll read like that. Uh, but it, I don't mean so much on stage or material. I'm just you saying it's, you know, it's part sure. of personality. Well, yeah, because, right. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, the, if you're frustrated right. and you get aggravated about things and they, they, you're seeing them through that lens of like, you know, why me? Why the fuck does this have to happen right. every time? Yeah, sure. The crank and the curmudgeon is a, is a, a, a comedy type. And, you know, it's certainly a funny one if it's mm. done well. I mean, it's, it's rare that you see them. Right. Uh, you know, I've not seen your act, but, but there, you know, the crank is a great comedic persona. Mm -hmm. And there's, it, at any given time, there's very few people that, that pull it off well. You know, like, you know, Lewis Black's a good example. For sure. uh, Kyle Kinane's a new guy that he's got a little of that going. It's a natural disposition where it's like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. But like, it's very close to like, you know, I'm fucked, you know, and, and that's not as funny. Right, right. You know, that there's a line that you ride, you know, with cranky, bitter, angry that that is so close to sort of like, oh, shit, he's really fucked up that it's a, it's a delicate disposition uh, to, to pull off. But, yeah, sure. Of course, it's a, it's a fine one. But you find yourself you're not as bitter as you used to be. I, I'm not bitter. You know, I, I have disappointments, but I think I've learned how to integrate them as okay. not being personal. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think that I'm I, I'm more about, you know, trying to share a common experience of, of, of frustration or, or trying to, you know, blow some minds with my own way of thinking about things. Uh, you know, I talk about being angry, but I think that the less angry I get, the funnier it is because I have a little distance from it. You know, when I was working on a I did a one person show about my divorce, mm -hmm. which was very painful. Uh, and very, you know, it, it, the, the you last just for last last year. I right? did. And yeah. it was a little rough in the sense that, like, it's real raw. And a lot of the laughter is out of discomfort. And, you know, when I was workshopping it, what I literally decided was, like, if I'm going to get fucked this hard financially and, and be put through this, mm -hmm. it better be creative time because right. I'm paying a lot for this material. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh, you know, it was interesting when I was workshopping in New York, Time Out New York wrote, uh, you know, the great thing about Marin's show is that he has no hindsight. So right. <laughs> you're really watching him work through this shit. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's no way that's going to be consistent. That, like, you know, it's engaging because I'm in a lot of pain. And I really didn't know how much I was going to be able to use the material in the long run once I worked through it. And I did it in Glasgow, of all places, you know, recently. And it's actually funnier now that I have some distance from it. So, you know, you know, logging the feelings that you're having uh, as you get a little distance from them, they actually become funnier, you know, and when they're not as, you know, as immediate. Right. When there's distance and perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's fine. Yeah. It's like when I, I know when I first started, I was like I had a, a lot of bitterness because, you know, you'd see 
a lot of shit that I didn't like go farther ahead than it was supposed to, or you'd be like, I can't believe that people laugh at this, or I can't believe that this gets on TV and all that crap. And then at a certain point, you're sort of like, well, if, if people like that, then I'll still just do what I'm going to try to do. And because it was like, I always have a big issue when like a lot of jokes are, are, are based in sort of ignorance and stupidity and there's no facts looking. Because it was like one guy in Toronto recently, he headlined the, the downtown club that you're at that, uh, and he did this whole bit about like we should stop sending food to third world countries and just send them condoms because they're 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 you know they're fucking too much and and you and like I'm watching it going and and the bit's killing sadly b- because there's a part of me that wants to go like no but they've already tried that and it, and it didn't work and it's not like you know he was almost getting close to like someone could have stood up and go hey well why don't we just kill everyone in a third world country what's wrong with genocide right you know it was almost encouraging that and. Right. and but it was you kind of wanted to say, listen, they did try that. They tried to put the fear in God in them to stop fucking, and then they tried to give them condoms and tell them to stop fucking. But apparently, people just love to fuck, and they and they're just fucking. And you kind of want to say that's a really dumb joke. Whereas the Catholic Church really encourages them to keep fucking and oh, not yeah. wear condoms. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Way, Which yeah. is sort of like you know, it's it's it's, it's yeah, just no, what, I, what I, a joke's I, based on stupidity. And now I'm sort of like I wanted to go up to them after the show and just so like all those things that you're thinking that they should do, they've done them and they didn't work. But right. then at the end, then I was sort of like, uh, you know. But you're the only one who knows that. The audience doesn't. Yeah, and but now I'm like, I, you know, maybe like eight years ago, I might have said, I might have taken them aside and said, listen, that whole bit that you did, they it, they did it and didn't work. But now I'm like, uh, I'll just let him have his fun. Yeah, but I'm assuming that the, the audience is not as affected by this joke as you are. No, 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 and, that's and, the thing. And, and I, that, you know, it's just a joke. Yeah, and, and I've, I've learned to, to accept the fact that quite often I'm the only one who's pissed off at this guy's bit. Well, I mean, as an audience member, you'd be the guy that's like, you know, I don't like this guy. Yeah, and then, but also <laughs> what Darren was saying that, like, I also have a feeling that that guy gets off stage going, man, I, read, I made a really good political point about what they should do in third world countries yeah, and, and overpopulation. And, 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 and like how other people deal with that guy in other professions is like, God, he's fucking annoying. Yeah. yeah. And we talk about it behind his back like we're doing now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I love it, though, don't you? That is a different area of investigation altogether. Yeah. We love gossip. Well, we of course. Love We're all little it. girls. We're That's all right. We all love it. Yeah. It's a high school. All right, so it's, let's, it's, so it's let's like not get too lofty about it because we don't want to knock our hobbies. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> like, and what if that guy gets a show? He's never going to book me on it. That's yeah. right. Like, when I hear that someone has <laughs> called me an asshole, I always say, okay, was it in a car? Was it all comics? Did they all laugh at it? Okay, fine. Yeah. If you're attacking my character and saying, you know, I, I'm a terrible father, and did you know he cheated on his wife? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But you if are I, a terrible father and you did cheat on your wife. But what I'm saying is, is that if if you're just it's just comics in a circle making fun of each other, I don't really care. You know, like it's 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 part of the process, and we all bitch about everyone. I get that. But you know, if it's attacking character, that's the difference. Like thievery and all these yeah. other things. Yeah, I heard you did care. I don't. Oh, so <laughs> I'm much. kidding. Not kidding. so much. Not so much. I was in, hey, talking to some comics last uh, night. One, but... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Don't. One last thing, and we ask everyone this, uh-huh. um, and we whether we use it or not, but. Explain to me your opinion of the difference between being banned from a club and not welcome back. The difference between them? In your from, oh, personal in my, experience, my experience? Or just your feelings. Because the reason we ask this is because there's lots of comics that brag about I was banned from there. But in reality, what happened is they either didn't do well or the owner just looked at it and said we had too many complaints and we can't bring you back. You're yeah, not going to sell yeah. tickets or drinks. So. Yeah, I think banned is, a, is romanticizing uh, uh, something to make yourself look 
different than the art. It really just usually just comes down to business and whatever Napoleon is operating the club. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and sometimes the club owner. Yeah, the weird thing is is the club owners are the most important you know, people to us, you know, certainly at the beginnings of our careers, they are the most powerful. And they are also the ones who are more likely to abuse that power for personal reasons. So, you know, you can romanticize it by being banned, like, because you're a, a rebel comic, but it's usually just some, you know, ego-driven club owner just doesn't like you for whatever reason. If it's right. not for, you, you didn't sell tickets, it's just sort of, no, I like that guy, and this is my house, and I don't want him in it anymore. Like that, that's must have happened to you in some point in your career where you killed all weekend, right? And then, or the majority of the weekend you thought it overall was a great weekend mm -hmm. then you find out from the booker that you're not welcome back at that club has yeah. that happened to you yeah i imagine so i i you know i can't think of specific incidents but i definitely am somebody at different points in my career who would rub people the wrong way right you know, specifically people you know, i have a natural you know you know contempt for authority yes. as many of us do right. and like i you know there there are certain club owners that have you know, behave, you know, you're going to get into an ego battle with them. And I, I just don't, I, I, there was times in my career where I just did not handle, uh, I, I was not diplomatic. I, I didn't, you know, delegate, you know, uh, to my manager or anything else. And, you know, I, my, my big problem is I got a big mouth and a lot of times I, you know, there have been, you know, different bridges I burned either by canceling gigs or not selling tickets, but most of it really comes down to whether or not you sell tickets and whether or not they personally like you. It's really not, a general societal thing. It's just whichever little guy or big guy, whoever owns the club, that you know, that's his house. Right. Yeah, it's his business. And it, and it could just be as easy as you know, I don't want you in my house. Yeah. Right. Well, it's like that. I love that line from the TV show Mad Men, where there's sort of like a. At one point, there, uh, one of the guys says, uh, "You know, ninety-five percent of this business is I don't like that guy." And that's not. It's not necessarily that's your work. Not, that that is every business. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's the especially show or, business and show business. Yeah. yeah. And also the whole line about, you know, the, how small the word show is and how big the word business is. Sure. Yeah. That's the old adage, yeah. So has there ever been a point in your career where you were told that you can't say something or do something, whether at a club or at a television show? Well, yeah, the, that's, that's a, a weird thing about censorship. That, there was a weird lesson I learned about censorship was that I was booked and where it comes from. That I was booked up at a club to do a, a show at, I think it was the old Gotham in New York. And, and I didn't realize this, but the, the event, the club had been rented out by, by Tanqueray, the gin. Okay. okay. Right, okay. okay. And, and there was, a, I don't know if you had that advertising campaign up here, but it was everywhere in the States, this Mr. Jenkins guy, which was like this, it was like this, uh, like this old guy's head on this weird little body, and there were martinis, and it was Mr. Jenkins for Tanqueray. Like, like Captain the, Morgan kind of guy. Right, character. Yeah, well, it was yeah. just their thing. Yep, their mascot. You know, and, and I walk into this room, and on either side of the stage, there's a Mr. Jenkins, you know, there's Tanqueray, you know, the event is a couple hundred people in the room. And I had no idea that it was as a, a, as a corporate event, right? You know, and, and, and Chris comes up to me, he's like, listen, Mark, you know, I, I know you didn't know this was going on, and I, you know, I just, you know, I wouldn't do this to you, okay, but... I just want you to know that, you know, I, I don't care what you say. I mean, you know, you can, you know, you make fun of Jesus. You know, you can you know, talk about fucking. I just please don't make fun of Mr. Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, not right. tonight. Right, right, right. <laughs> and that's really the nature of censorship. I was like, <laughs> right. but my Mr. Jenkins bit. I yeah. had a whole thing yeah. on. Right.
what and that's that's where you learn that thing. It's like uh, you know, it's all relative to to the corporate interest. You know, whether that corporate interest is a religious group, right? Or yeah, yeah. But you know, that was just the funny thing. You, know, you can you have the Pope fucking Jesus. I don't care. But Mr. Jenkins is sacred. Yeah. I mean, even in my own career, I've had comedy club owners that there's more like gray hairs, old people that come up and go, you're not going to do your full show, right? There's a lot of old people here. And, and I'm like, I don't understand why that's a concern. It's like old people know real anger. They know fake anger. I, I have the same thing. Okay. And they, for, for whatever reason, old people fucking love what I do. And they've all, they're always the ones that come up to me and go, keep with it. We love it. We really enjoy it. It's the people in the middle of age that, right. that are still defining. Or the 19-year-olds right. who are like, how can you say this in front of someone my grandmother's age? It's like, what are you, are you giving me a, give me a break? They know, they, they, people forget that, that that's actually comedy at its best is when, Absolutely. you know, these people that have seen everything can now get an opportunity to laugh at the things right. they don't necessarily talk about. Like, I used to do a bit when I'd see a lot of old people, like, whenever, I, to, to address that specifically, it's like, how am I going to offend you? You remember when condoms were lace-up. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, you know, right. and, and the, you know, that, that yeah. that's true. Yeah. And then when you break that ice with them, they're sort of like, it actually works, because they're like, oh, I shoun't laugh at them. But that's oh, too, yeah. yeah, I mean, I used to, like, I'd say, because there'd be 19-year-olds upset, and I'm like, look, you know, you don't know what real anger is. You're trying to finger-bang your girlfriend in your parents' minivan. Yeah. These these people, they're RSPs, which they is They invented finger-banging. Yeah. <laughs> they invented it. Their four one plans aren't going anywhere. They're eating food they don't want to eat. Their their kids don't yeah, call them anymore. Right. They they've know been married anger. twice. They've had affairs. They've been to wars. You, and, know? you know, like you, like your joke is going to offend somebody that lived through Hitler. Ex right. Well, exactly. You know, and I that, the reference was, you know, my grandmother sucked dick in World War Two, so she didn't get scurvy. She knows what real fucking anger is. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. That's the bottom line. That's right. And that's what always concerns me about censorship. It's like even at. I've never told this to anyone. It's definitely not on air. But I was censored at a comedy festival on a nasty show. They took me aside and said, "Don't do these three jokes again." And I'm like, "Are you are you kidding me? You know, like these are, this is the nasty show. These three jokes are very good jokes. They're defending my children. One's taking it on corporate America. What's the you know what's the problem here?" Another comedy club owner once said to me, "You can't come back because you're too dirty." Under a picture of Jim Norton, yeah. and I literally just pointed up. I'm like, "You're telling me." He's like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, but see, that all changes once someone can sell tickets. All those personal exactly. principles and values, like, that's how they take control of your life. You know, yes. you've got to do this, you got to do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. And then the best thing that can happen is you go away and you start selling tickets and then you, you come back and they're like, uh, well, we're really happy you're here. It's like, yeah, and you're going to pay me for it exactly. and you're not going to fucking say anything to me right. about what I can or right. can't do. Fame is the greatest equalizer. I mean, Russell Peters is a good example of that. He was not treated very well in this country. Uh, and then he became obviously this worldwide phenomenon. So now when he comes back here, some people are a little pissed at the way they, they treats them. And it's like, well, you know what? You were really bad to him. So he is going to play that kind of fame game of you got to pay this and do that. And yeah, do that. I, I mean, I'd like to, I hope I have that opportunity. <laughs> well, it's, it's like that same way that like, you know, people sometimes get put pissed off at Dane Cook. It's like, are you mad at him? Or are you mad that he did something before success. you thought of, right? It's like everyone knew that the internet was going to be such a big deal, but it's like, well, you know, why is he an asshole? Because he figured it out before you do. Did I don't know why? Yeah, yeah, that guy was never like. Yeah, I, I, I tend to resent people that are similar to me, not people. Right. I, 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 that guy never, I never affected me one way or the other. Right. It, was, it was funny. There was like a there's a comedy club just outside of Toronto in the sort of the small t uh, in uh, Ajax, Ontario, where there's <sighs> there's a club there, and the owner's really, really enthusiastic. Great guy. He's a great guy, and. Uh, 
But what like Darren and I often we do like a tour in January called the Cold Dark January tour, and it's supposed to be this edgy triple X show. And then often we'll show up uh, in Ajax on a Thursday where uh, the guy will rent it out to a corporate show, and it'll be some fundraiser for some like uh, you know a kid's uh, hockey equipment or yeah. something like that. Then we show up, and then we're, and we're sort of like, "What? Well, we had no idea this was going to be yeah. a corporate thing." Yeah. But the guy's so enthusiastic, and the place is so you know it's sold out. Yeah. He's like, "Just go and do your act. Don't worry about it. They're already here." How'd it I've, go? It uh, usually goes yeah, it's, okay. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I... I yeah, you got to admit sometimes we're just not the right guy for the job. I, right. I'm, I'm big enough to admit that. Right. Like, I, I can't do that gig. It ain't right from what I do. Well, that's That goes along the same lines as just like uh, uh, when people get banned or not asked back to a club where maybe they shouldn't even be at in the first place. Right. Like if someone says, yeah, we don't really want to back... And oh, it's, or if, like a comic goes up to a club owner and says, "Oh, hey, hey can I come back uh, and, and do your club?" And they're like, ah, "You know, you're not really our style. You don't really fit into what we do here." They're like, "Oh yeah, well, fuck you then. Your club is a shithole, anyways. Even though I wanted to desperately play it about two yeah. seconds well, ago." Well, yeah, I mean, usually that stuff is either you know about you know performance and ticket sales or just a personal thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's really it. You know, it, like no. I mean, uh, have, have you ever been censored? Like, have, in terms of like, you want to do these eight jokes on a Conan show, and they're just like, you know what, this one joke. Might yeah, not of be course, the best. all the time. But I mean, that's TV, and I I, I don't it's understand why comics get upset when TV has parameters that they can't do jokes. No, I don't either. I mean, you know, if you can't figure out how to do it within the context of the show or the or the or the the censors. Then you can't do it. I mean, it's not like you know. It's not that's not the you know the the Constitution doesn't protect television. Seven minute bits on late night. You you know that's not free speech. You're working for a company that has rules. Well, and and my whole thing is like when people are sort of like, well, hey man, why can't we say fuck on television? Well, you know, I don't. I think sometimes it's okay that there, there are rules on TV and you don't get the same motherfucker or cunt on it's challenging. TV. Challenging. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an extra challenge, and maybe sometimes you don't want to watch real life on TV all the time. I mean, yeah. I mean that's a good thing. I mean, we have the internet, we have cable, we have lots of places where we can go and see real life. If well, we you want should to. at least get real news on TV. I yeah. wish that would happen a little. But more. I mean, it's part of your job. Yeah. Yeah, if you can't sort of cut cut a couple corners here, it's and just there, part it's, of your job. If you're yeah. a comic, you know, okay, that's how TV works, yeah, and, and it's that's part of my with, job. It's, it's part of the deal with the devil. Exposure, you have to cut back a bit, then that's the deal. It is, but it's not even a deal with the devil. It's just it is what it is. If you want to be on television, which is part of what we do, like you know, after a while, when I did Conan or Letterman, it's like it's not about how many people are going to come see me at the club. It's like one of the things as a comic, what do you do? You can only do a few things. You do stand-up comedy. You might do some hosting. Right. You might be a writer. And you have to make appearances on television. Those are parts of our job. Right. Part of the job is like, well, the job of doing a thing on television is putting four and a half minutes together that are cleaned and that it is approved by the television show. And you want to be the best you can in that four minutes. It's just part of the job. It's not any restriction on anything. If you don't want to do that part of the job, then don't do it. Well, and if you're in someone else's house, you can't get that angry if that's the rules that they want to... It's if someone came up to you during your podcast and been like, uh, listen, uh, this is your podcast, but uh, I don't want you to do this, this, and this. You can't be like, well, no, this is why we do a podcast. This is my house, and I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. That's right. But, but what about the example of the Hicks Letterman where the jokes were supposedly was, were passed by the censors and everything was fine, and then they cut it for whatever the reasons, you know, Letterman now admits that he kind of jumped the gun. But where does that example fit into what you're talking about? This it's an executive structure? decision made by a corporation to not do something, right? And it, you know, it it was it was censorship, pure and simple, but it wasn't a constitutional issue, right? 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 But then, you know. yeah, it also comes down to that thing, and uh, 
what what is television first? Is it an advertising medium or an entertainment educational medium? And and for the most part, it's an advertising medium where people's priorities are with their sponsors and making money. So, I mean, that's that's why I think that the glory of cable, where you know you're paying for what you yeah, yeah. want. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I'm glad we didn't broaden that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we got kept that so tight. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we want to uh, oh, thank, thank you. you so much, Really Lamar. appreciate you coming in and chatting. Great and, time. Uh, Good right, talk. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you, thanks for having me.